There are certain subjects in life that we all need to deal with at one time or another, but are hard to think about and plan for. What to do when a spouse or a loved one needs extra help as they age is one of those topics. What makes this an even less fun conversation is the sheer, mind-boggling complexity of the senior care landscape. Acronyms like RCAC, CBRF, ADL, SNF cause confusion, how to pay for senior care causes anxiety, and uncertainty about what a loved one wants and needs and when they will want and need it can result in choice paralysis. Pam Foti and Jenny Wagner understand these emotions and are here to help. Both are elder care consultants and owners of Vesta Senior Network, a consultant organization that works with older adults and their loved ones to help them understand the many choices and opportunities that exist for them once it's time for them to leave their own home. Retire United and the Retiree Advisory Council recently hosted Pam and Jenny for a discussion on navigating senior living and care. For those who are not able to be in the room, we recorded the talk and Q&A. So to reintroduce ourselves, I'm Jenny Wagner, this is Pam Foti, and we're owners of Vesta Senior Network, and we're elder care consultants. Most of what we do is help families through the, the complexities of the long-term care world. And someone just said, I know nothing about long-term care. I know nothing about senior living. And the truth of the matter is, Jenny and I always like to say, you know, if you're a married person, you might only need to find care for a loved one maybe four times in your life, maybe only three times. The statistics are that 75% of us will need some sort of care as we age. Each time you do it, it's going to look different because no two people really ever have exactly the same needs or wants or desires or we're, financial we're, ability. We're truly individuals in terms of how we age. Um, so you've got very different people aging and then if one person ages or has some kind of health crisis or issue and they use up a lot of the finances, then when you are helping the second person, their financial picture is completely different. And all of those things really come into play when you're making decisions and trying to understand what is going to be best. And we'll get into that in, in much greater detail. But I think the one thing um, that is important to know is that we've been doing this for almost six years and we've helped over 400 families. So 400 individuals. So we've really learned how to you know, leverage and teach others um, to, to get them the best care for themselves or most often someone in their family. Let's just set the stage a little bit. So, you know, back in the 90s when Tom Brokaw wrote the book, The Greatest Generation, he coined the phrase, the graying of our population. And I hope I sounded like Tom Brokaw because that's my goal every time I say it. Kind of. Okay. What he was talking about back in the 90s is, you know, our population was aging. But we kind of joke that in the 90s, we weren't, we that, weren't that great. We were not that great. You know, and you hear a lot about the baby boomers, right? That 15,000 people are turning 65 every day. But you know what? That's, I'm not aging anybody in this room, but you're retired, so I'm, I'm going to assume that you're kind of in that age group. And that's not you're old. You're not old, and you're not great. So what's really Those are the people that are kind of young to us. Yeah. And, and getting younger every day as we get older. Um, so I think that, you know, what's significant though is that 
yes, 15,000 people are turning 65 every day, but those folks hopefully are retired and living well. It's the folks that, it's the next, um, or the previous generation between the greatest generation and the boomers are called the silent generation. So those, we think of more like the Korean War events, like they're in their 80s. By 2020, that population is going to increase by 15%. And those are the folks, generally speaking, that are starting to need some help. And a lot of people have heard probably the term sandwich generation. So that's all of us, right? We're the generation that have kids or grandkids and parents that need care, and we're being pulled in opposite directions. The sandwich generation, by definition, used to be like um, 30 to 50 because you have children and you have parents. But that, that group of people, because we're all living longer and living more well, we often are dealing with daughters that are worried about their parents that are in their 60s. And retired and, and wanting to live their retirement dream. But now they're in a crisis because they've exhausted so many of their opportunities to stay at home, right? So, you know, they've tried home care maybe, maybe the daughter's completely exhausted and now mom has fallen, or dad, we've had quite a few men recently too, men are living longer too, um, ha, um, has fallen maybe the third time. And now, you know, we can't do this anymore. This is the third rehab stay. The social worker in the rehab, you know, last time said, you really need to start thinking about, you know, something else. And now it's the third time, Medicare's gonna stop paying, and now we've gotta do something in crisis. The vast majority, 78% of our clients come to us in crisis. So what we like to do, part of the mission of our company is get out to like this opportunity today to educate people, to help you understand what long-term care is about today versus what it was, and what a lot of us have in our minds and what <laughs> we think it is. Um, because by educating people, we can help you not be in crisis. So a lot of times when we're speaking at consumer, um, consumer senior centers, um, speaking with older adults, you know, doing this presentation, you know, we'll have the heckler in the back, you know, we ask, well, what does long-term care mean to you? I think we attract the hecklers for some reason. I'm just going to say it out loud. We always get We always have a heckler. So um, we don't need one today, though. It's raining. Yeah. Um, so we hear, we will get someone in the back of the room saying things like, that's expensive. Or one time we heard, Fox Farm. And we're like, we didn't know what that was. We didn't know what it meant. So this astute um, nurse practitioner that I had known for years, she goes, well, Pam, that's where old horses go to die. <laughs> so the fox farm is one a way, is, is a thing. And for some older adults, that's how they perceive the nursing home or... Um, he has a question. Oh. I, I actually thought it was a place where, because there's so many women, more women. Oh. Now, the guys would say, yeah, we're going to the fox ranch. Like the chicken <laughs> ranch. The foxes? Well, that's a little bit more popular. Kind of like the chicken ranch, I guess. All right. You know You're what? Welcome. I won't charge you. I love half full. I love half full, and that, that's half full. You know, then, you know, back in the day, the only options that were available when, when someone could no longer be cared for in their home was the nursing home. 
I remember hearing it called the convalescent home, the convalescent center, the old folks home. I was literally just having this conversation. My cousin's daughter got married two weeks ago, and I was having this conversation with um, one of my cousin's husbands about, you know, I asked about his parents, and his dad had passed, and um, he, he's like, yeah, mom's in the old folks home. <laughs> and I'm like, Glenn, you're only 60. You're not that much older than me, and you're calling it the old folks home. I didn't know people use that term anymore. But I guess it's still out there, and that is the truth, is that I believe our experience um, shows that people still believe that the only option for them, if they can't stay in their home, is the nursing home, the Fox Farm, the old folks' home. And that's just not true. So if back in the day, and that's 15, 20 years ago, even, even, not yet, not that long ago, back in the day. So if back in the day, 15, 20 years plus ago, all the way back, because it was pretty, it was pretty one thing for a really long time. And if back in the day it was one size fits all, now there are so many different sizes that how can you possibly know what size is right for you or your loved one? If you look at this list, it looks, I think we have either 12 or 15 bullets. But really, if you read through them, um, the, there's probably only five different, different categories here with different kinds of names or euphemisms or fancy ways of putting it out there, which just helps to confuse people when you're trying to navigate this and understand it. Um, home care is home care, getting someone to come in the house where you've been living and, and, and help you there. Um, but independent living, senior residences, senior apartments, those are all the same. an independent apartment that is specifically for people 55 and older. Um, adult daycare is something that's very different. That's where you may live at home with a loved one and then you go somewhere for activities and possibly a bath and meals during the day while they're either at work or And that's a very positive, a positive, um, way for someone to keep someone at home longer. You know, if, if, if the daughter that they're living with is, has to still work, you know, this is a great way to keep mom or dad safe. The biggest challenge though is that there are just so few out there. They're, they're money suckers, unfortunately, and they're closing at, they're, 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 new ones aren't opening. And in the six years that we've been in business, several have closed. It's just too bad. The next group that you see, or the next three that you see, um, are all just basically, or four, are all just basically assisted living. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that all means. But RCAC, CBRF, memory care, those are all just different types of assisted living communities. And um, what's interesting is that the state of Wisconsin um, provides two licenses for assisted living. And we're gonna get into that in the next slide a little bit more in detail. But the point of the matter is, is that memory care is not a separate license. So many people come to us, you know, looking for memory care for their loved one because there's a dementia diagnosis. But the thing of it is, is that in, in Wisconsin, we don't know about other states, um, but in Wisconsin, memory care is basically something you can call yourself. You know, if you were to look up some different, oh, memory care and then we started asking questions about well what are your do we always we have actually um, we use um, a CRM and 
we actually have a, a box in our each account file that's called deal breakers. Because we always want to know what is going to be the maximum that this community is going to be able to do. What will they do? What won't they do for my loved one? What is the top end of care they will provide? And we, we kind of joke at places that call themselves memory care communities and then we say, well, what, are your, what, what would cause someone to not be able to stay here? Because we're always looking for someone's last home. And, well, if they wander, or, you know, if they, you know, if they can't find their way to the dining room, uh, and we're like, you're gonna call yourself, you're gonna call yourself a memory care community and, and those very basic things you're not going to provide? So it's a very, Jenny usually says this, this is a very buyer beware industry. We don't own assisted living communities. We are consultants, okay? We are advisors. Um, but I'll pretend that I own Shady Pines RCAC. Who knows where Shady Pines is from? Here's a little trivia question. Golden Girls. Oh. <laughs> um, what was mom's name? Drawing a blank on mom's name. But she was at Shady Pines until... Sophia. Sophia. Sophia was at Shady Pines, right, until Blanche moved her in with her. So anyway. So Shady Pines RCAC. So by licensure... At Shady Pines, because it's a residential care apartment complex, an RCAC, by regs, I can only provide up to 28 hours of care per week, okay? But the state of Wisconsin doesn't tell me what that has to look like. It tells me that I have to provide meals, that I have to provide you know, showers if people need it, that I provide medication management if people need it, but I don't, it doesn't tell me what I have to do. There's no minimum. So, you know what? I want people to be able to stay with me as long as they can. So, I, if I can do it within 28 hours, I'm gonna let people become a two-person transfer. I'm gonna use a mechanical lift if someone needs it. I might bring in hospice to help me keep this person here through the end of life because that is my business model. Now, Jenny at Serenity Springs. Serenity Springs, which is a CVRF, which in Wisconsin is the higher um, license for assisted living. And that license says you can have unlimited hours of personal care and up to three hours of nursing care per week. So by regs, that is the higher level of assisted living. It's the license I have at Serenity Springs. However, I don't want my staff to work overly hard, and I want this to be a vibrant community where people want to be because everyone's conversational and functional. So if you have an activated power of attorney, or if you can't find your way to the dining room on your own, I'm sorry, but you'll have to move on to a place where we provide more care. We don't, we don't provide that type of care here at Serenity Springs. So that is where we so often find ourselves with families looking for the second home for someone. And that's heartbreaking. That is, that is a daughter who feels like she's failed. I didn't know. That's, that's someone who's super um, cynical now about the whole system because they were told that they'd be able to stay there. And that's, that's, that's really tough for us. And I would say about 30% of our clients that we've worked with in the last six years, it was a second placement. 
It was, they, they didn't know what they were getting into. They assumed that assisted living was assisted living, and it just isn't. And so the question that Pam um, shared with you guys that we put in a database, deal breaker. What makes me not be able to stay here is a super important question to ask. And when we said buyer beware, it's, it's being a savvy consumer, just like you would be when you're buying a car, just like you would be when you're buying a house. house. Ask all the questions that might get you in trouble or that you might be fearful to ask, ask them. Because they're there marketing people to tell you how great it is. And it could be great. It could be great and for there are a lot of great individuals. Ones. There are a lot of great places. We've already got ours picked out, you know? Um, I mean, I know, where, I know where my mom would go, but that's the other part of it too, is that so frequently, and I just wrote something for our, um, our blog, and we'll tell you where to find it, but um, I just wrote something, you know, called the top 10 list, because people are always asking us, what are the best, which ones are the best, you know? And we can't who? answer that responsibly, because for whom? How much money does mom have? Like, I've got a gentleman right now, $60,000, that's all he has. Um, I've got, you know, having the conversation with the daughter yesterday, I'm like, you know, we'd be, we'd be doing something very differently if we had a half a million dollars. So I have to find what is going to work for him today and into the future on what he has. And he ha I mean, he's cognitively well, but his body isn't. So trying to find that fit, I, I can't say, oh, in Waukesha <laughs> So I can't say, well, oh, this would be perfect. You know, these, these are the 10 best, because at the end of the day, for whom? The biggest takeaway, I think, that we want anybody to leave here with, or that any of our clients know from working with us, is that you have to make sustainable choices. You have to make a choice that is going to be able to care for your loved one today and into the future. And we don't have a crystal ball, no one has. So thinking about how is this going to work? You know, how, how, is, how are the finances going to work throughout end of life, no, no matter how long that may be? And is there enough care here for today? And if I decline, what's going to happen? What's that going to look like? So that's why there's the triangle. It's the care and the cost are the two things that we always start with. Most important. Most important is that we need to find a place for you to live that will provide care that you need today and into the future and fit financially. We're not going to get into a super big discussion today about um, Medicaid and you know what happens when you outlive your assets, but most people outlive their assets if they're in care. So what are the policies at that community? for keeping people after they outlive their assets. So participation in Title 19 or family care, we're not gonna go into the weeds on this, but family care is the Title 19 or Medicaid program that will pay for assisted living. Participation in that program is voluntary. So at Shady Pines, I may choose to participate in the family care program, and I'm going to say that as long as you come to me with three years of private pay money, I am never gonna ask you to leave after you, after you um, outlive your assets. As long as you, you, know, you have the ability, because then I can keep my ship afloat. And that <coughs> is something that, you know, 
That means keeping her business in the black, I think is what ship of love means. <laughs> it's raining, so I'm using ship. Yeah, I like it. Okay. So the point is, is that um, we would all love if every single place out there would take someone in on family care, you know, that, there, that, that the money wasn't part of it. Wouldn't that be a great world? Yeah, but I don't know where that world is. You know, because you have to think about it same way that we've always had to think about our own personal budgets. When someone accepts family care to pay for someone's care, it's a government contract. It's a discounted rate. So I always like to use the analogy, what if we were asked to live on half of our income, half of the month? We would have to make significant choices. At Shady Pines, I may not be able to have a full-time activity director if I start getting in the red a little bit, right? So at the end of the day, the point is we need to understand how that assisted living community is going to or is or isn't going to participate in the family care program. Some places will limit it to 10 beds. So again, that's another one of our deal the breakers. The final part of the triangle is community. Oh, yeah. And so once you put the cost and the care together, the very important parts, and maybe there's two, maybe three that can provide that for you, mm -hmm. then it's like college campus shopping, really. I mean, it's vibe. It's do they use vinyl tablecloths or cloth? Um, what feels good to you or your loved one? Is it a lot of activities with like fake Elvises that come or is it like, what do you call it then? Lit Elvis impersonators. Sorry, I'm sorry to all the Elvis lovers. Um, could be really Elvis, you're right. It could be Elvis. <laughs> um, or maybe it's gardening and you know, different types of activities or packer parties. I mean, or even who lives there? Who else lives there? And there's such an ebb and flow in all of these communities because, you know, people move in and decline and pass on, right? So at any given time, if there a community may be really old with high care needs, but 6 months from now, once those people are no longer there, and younger people, not younger, but people who have you know fewer care needs move in, now you might have a completely different personality in the community. And those are the things that, that we are always looking for. You know, this gentleman that I'm trying to help who's 71 years old, I'm like, oh god, what you know, where am I gonna Because you need to find a conversational, functional, happy group for him that can give him the care he needs within the cost, you know. So so let's talk about the costs of long-term care. So Again, like we said early um, in our discussion, three quarters, three quarters of us are going to need some sort of care. Some of us will be able to stay in our homes forever with a little bit of assistance or a lot of assistance, just depending on our financial situation. Others of us will end up needing an assisted living community, either because bringing in-home care, you don't like it, you don't want someone there all the time, um, or uh, maybe you have a spouse and it's really hard on the spouse to have you know, the care being provided in the home. Um, and then some of us, not too many of us anymore, fortunately, but some of us might end up needing a true nursing home because we have a chronic medical condition that needs the attention of 24-hour nursing care. Doesn't happen a lot, but it could. A few of us even 
would still need that. So when you're looking at... And before we go into this oh, yeah. quick, I want to just say there are plenty of numbers out there that you can get, right. either from right. Jedworth or from National. MetLife is another one that have, publishes numbers like this. That you can see that these are going to look a little larger. And that's because they're looking at our entire nation. Pam and I work here in Wisconsin only because we know the Wisconsin licensure and we understand how things work in Wisconsin. And we work specifically more in southeastern Wisconsin. We've gotten into Green Bay, Madison, you know, other areas, but mainly here in the Milwaukee metro area. And so our numbers are based on our experiences and what we help kind of our clients obtain. Um, and that's where these numbers are coming from, just to kind of be clear. That you, you will see lower numbers if you were to look at the MetLife annual report or whatever. So occasional in-home care, how do we define that? Occasional in-home care is awesome. It's three hours a day, three days a week. That's where, the, that's where these numbers that's are. That's our definition. Up. That's our definition because that's the type of care that can keep you safe. Someone you know, can come in and do your laundry. You're not going to be carrying a laundry basket into the basement. Maybe someone's going to go grocery shopping for you because, trust me, I know how hard it is to grocery mm -hmm. shop when you're not very mobile. And, you know, there's certain things that someone can help you with that can, oh, changing the sheets on your bed. That is a huge fall risk. We actually had a gentleman trip on his bedspread when he was trying to make his bed, break his femur, and nearly bleed out because it was the next morning that his daughter found him. He's fine. But that's a huge problem. So if you can bring someone into your home to help with some of the things that are dangerous or hard or just exhausting, you, we were able to um, keep my husband's aunt in her home a whole year longer by doing this three hours um, a day, three times a week. Kept her safe, kept eyes on her, and I mean, for $12,000, a thousand bucks a month, that's, that is really money well spent. On the other end of the spectrum, because that's just occasional care. On the other end of the spectrum, there's the next two bullet points, either 24 hour home care or live-in home care. And that's when you need someone around the clock because your cares are unscheduled. I need help going to the bathroom. Sometimes I don't know my nights from my days because I have a dementia diagnosis. Those types of things, someone should be there for safety. And, and whether you do it 24-hour home care, that's when you have shifted workers awake all the time, or a live-in home care where you have someone that actually lives in their own bedroom and bathroom in your home, and they have time off, but they're there most of the time. Those kind of scenarios are more prevalent, um, more expensive, but when people really need all the time care that that's the way to do it and that is why most people end up needing assisted living care because few people can sustain those sort of expenses for long now I have a gentleman that I've been consulting with for the last three years and his girlfriend just keeps checking in with me. Do you think it's time? Do you think it's time? He has this much money left. So he's, he's in that live-in home care model where he's spending about $100,000 a year. But his house, and so this is our strategy. His house is worth about $300,000. 
So their plan is when he gets down to about um, $50,000, they're gonna put the house on the market. So the house will sell and then he'll be able to afford assisted living, okay? So it's very important to have a plan when these, you know, when, when this occurs. So as you can see, we're using $6,000 a month average for assisted living. There are some folks that, you know, maybe they really, it's really light care that they need. Um, and they can be maybe in an assisted living apartment, an RCAC apartment. And so they're gonna get their meals. There's gonna, you know, someone's gonna be there to do their meds. They may be, depending on where you are in the community, they may be in the 4,000, 4,500 a month range. But then you also have, you know, folks who need memory care that are gonna be 8,000 plus. So that's kind of where we come up with 6,000 as, as an average. And you can, I mean, obviously, the reason that assisted living is more cost effective and the logical choice for a lot of people is because you don't have any taxes to pay anymore, you don't have upkeep on the home, your meals are included, your utilities are included, and you're sharing a, you know, caregivers with other folks, so the cost is spread out. So even if you're in a high level assisted living community and maybe there's one caregiver for every six people, which is, that's a pretty good staffing ratio, you, you're still only gonna be spending about $72,000 a year. And what's, what's great about that for a lot of people is because you have your own space and someone's not staring at you, breathing down your back. It's not that one-on-one -on -one situation that can be difficult for some people. So many of us say we want in-home care, <laughs> and then when people test drive it, they're like, whoa, 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 yeah. Because it, you feel almost like you should be doing something with that person. There's this person in your room, in your house. And that's why ultimately assisted living, you know, is the answer for a lot of people. And the other point, too, is that when you're living in your home and needing that amount of care and you run out of money, family care is not going to take care of you. So now you're looking at a situation where you're gonna to need to, you know, you know, obviously sell your house quick so that you can access some funds to get into assisted living. But anyway, so that's just another one of the strategies which is what we do every day. You know, strategize trying to figure out the best way to get someone what they need, um, what they want. Wants this. And then skilled nursing care, if you really need to be in a nursing home, can cost anywhere from ten dollars to $14,000 a month. That's when you have true medical needs. You have a feeding tube or you have IV medications, um, things like that that need nurse and doctor oversight. And, and it's very few of us anymore, but it still exists and mostly skilled nursing facilities are being used for rehab. Um, so we go there after a fall, after a stroke, after a sickness, and we get better and then we can go to the next level, whether that be back home with a little bit of care or back home safely because we've gotten all the way back to baseline or to an assisted living or move in with your daughter, whatever those things, those choices may be, everybody's different. I heard the other day, speaking to someone about a mom at home, <coughs> he had uh, found uh, an international person through an agency to, do, to live at home. Can you react to that. Sure, yeah. So the question was, um, we're being asked to comment on uh, agencies that can provide in-home, a caregiver living in-home with someone. 
who is an international a person from another country. Yeah, but the person's really independent. They're not. This organization found the person. Yep. Uh, and then they were. Yes. So the person's independent. Okay. So Most that's a great way sometimes to do it. Um, and my grandmother, um, Granny, had a live-in person like that, and she's Polish, and spoke Polish from being from when she was a little girl. And so, at the time, we were able to find a Polish caregiver, and it was wonderful. I even learned a little more Polish. We call them Granny Nannies. Her, <laughs> her grandma's Polish Granny Nanny. That was then, though. This is now. Um, finding Eastern European caregivers is harder because it's just economies of different countries. Now, more and more, if you find um, an international caregiver that would like to come live with you and, and care for you, you're going to have. Um, um, like my gentleman has a, a gentleman from Mongolia. Um, so they're more Asian. Or Asian. Um, and so. And Filipinos. So, yep. So. It can be a wonderful setup, depending again, like like anything, depending on the person and depending what the expectations can be and what your setup in your home is, that sort of stuff. So we we test drove it. We had a client who wanted to test drive it. Okay, so we went through an agency like you're describing, but the agencies that we have communicated with are agencies that kind of stay around. Okay, so you would be paying that person directly you would be filing the taxes and you'd be managing that they will do it for a fee you know this agency will take care of all that for you for a fee um, but they kind of stick around because these setups like you're describing that person still gets two weekends off a month um, etc etc so, so they need so they sometimes are on hand to provide that coverage if a daughter or son can't, for example. Now, um, those are the experiences that we've had, but this, this couple that wanted to test drive it ultimately decided that until they could finish their walkout basement to provide separate space for the caregiver, they weren't bringing mom home. Because it, you know, they live in a, a traditional, you know, colonial in Brookfield, all the bedrooms are on one floor, and it just felt very intrusive to have another person in that intimate setting. So it's, it's different. Different for strokes for different folks. And again, you know, a friend of mine's father had a, a stroke, and the, he was able to live at home through the end of life because um, the mom was perfectly happy having the gentleman down the hall, completely taking care of. Um, her husband, it was great to have meals prepared. She just had to stop him from washing her underwear. She said, this is where I'm drawing the line. Everybody's got a line. I can wash my own personal things. You just take care of Jim. So it, again, it can work for some people yeah. and some others not, but it can be a great setup. And that's that $100,000 range. You know, $100,000 a year typically is, is that. You have a question? Yeah, if you open to questions, I, I wasn't sure how you wanted to handle sure. that. Sure, sure, why not? Um, it's related to, is there a definition for assisted living um, facility care, what they can give in the state of Wisconsin? And then, and then as a, uh, off of, of that answer, then how does one um, 
ensure that they're able to receive the level of care that can be provided to them at an assisted living facility actually receive that um, that care. Yeah. So the question is, you're asking is us. Is there a definition in Wisconsin? There's a what yes, yes, yes. And then how does somebody actually access the care that is going to be right for them? Okay. Rather than having too little care and not being able to get it. Yeah. The so the easy hours, answer. Hours, huh? The easy answer, hire us. <laughs> That's the easy answer. But no. So so it's a regulatory definition. You know, if you go to DHS, you know, dot whatever, okay, you know, you do a Google search, it, what assisted living is defined as, is it's defined as a home-like environment, a residence that can provide care, personal care, keeping an individual in a home-like environment and as independent as possible. So now do you see how it gets so nebulous? I mean, it's about as broad of a definition as you can find. And yes, there, you know, I, I was looking it up because I was just writing something for our blog. So I was trying to like drill it down and it doesn't help drill it down. You know, it's pages and pages and pages and pages and recs. But the point is, is that they do say things like, yes, medication management needs to be there. Um, um, bathing helps. So basic, basic, cares that address activities of daily living here's another term adls and those are your basic you know um meal prep shower Bathing, yeah. dressing toileting all of those sorts of things but that doesn't but every place can do it the way they want to do it within there, the license within the license there are places out there that you know if you start needing help to the bathroom they're not going to take care of you like we said earlier, if you need help to the dining room because you can't find your way, they're not going to do it. Or you have to pay more for or they increased won't. Yes, services. there are levels of care, too, in some places, that the more care you need, the more it costs, or they just don't do it. They just don't do it. That so then at that point, do. if they just don't do it, you can either hire an in-home care person like you would have in your home to help you and stay where you are, or you can move to another place that does create, does give that care at that price point. Can you ask that up front? Absolutely. 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 And that's that what we want like you to do. Something where none are created equal. Right. They're all going to be different. Exactly. They might have the name assisted living. Exactly. If you go to this place or this or this or this. So Every the moral of the story is there's no cookie cutter definition. There's no specifics that they must give you. There's no minimum they have to give you other than bed management and, de and dealing with and your meals. activities of daily living and meals. So you need to be a savvy consumer and when you tour a place or when you check into a place, ask some questions about what you think you're gonna need and what you might need and how much they're willing to provide. And that's the really difficult part, you know, to try to imagine the worst case scenarios is where it gets really, really difficult. Right. Um, um, I also had a personal situation with a mother-in-law and she was in another state, um, but it seemed like she was able to get into an assisted living facility, um, which was for a short period of time. We thought she was too severe to actually have been accepted there and we kind of wondered you know, whatever, but we weren't involved. My husband's older brother was managing whatever because he was in the same state. 
Um, but uh, do some assisted living, do they bring people in that they Yes. Met, so, no, like, yes. Uh, really have needs beyond what they're going to yes. be able to do. Yes. Not, not beyond what they're going to be able to do. Whatever, but there are, I mean, or whatever. They, there's a, there's a like, term. Maybe even, might have been less than six months. There's a term, heads and beds. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the less scrupulous, the less ethical places. I mean, we, there are places we don't work with. So in the last six years, you know, we have vetted, re-vetted, toured, retoured, you know, we say, oh, that director's gone? That's the fourth director that they've lost in a year? Are you kidding me? They've got their sixth nurse and they haven't even been open two years? So those are the types of things that we're paying attention to. And, you know, a new building opens. Ooh, it's shiny and pretty. And we have to talk people off the ledge on those. We're like, we gotta sit and watch. We have a little bit of a policy that we like to wait six months to a year before we refer to a new building unless we know, really know the people running it. Because that's when you see the most turnover. In the beginning. In the beginning. So the shiny new, we that's not our favorite. Yay. See you in a year. Yeah, right. Because and it's lovely, yes. And fancy does not fix problems or help people that need care. So yes, so we don't we do not work with every assisted living community for a variety of reasons. Yes. At what point do you suggest people start working with you? Oh God. When they have an elderly family member and let's define elderly or when they are younger and they're just talking to their mother and father. Yes, yes, yes. I when I when I talk to elderly people, like in a senior center situation, and they ask me, I say, if you look at your energy as a gas tank, and it's all you got for the day, this is my energy for today, and I'm using all my energy just getting ready for the day, and now I barely have any more energy to make it out to lunch and to play cards with my friends, which was my goal. That's the point when you should start either thinking about in-home care or just help. asking for a little bit of help, having a conversation with your family, whatever it may be, if, you're, if your gas tank is just not full enough of energy, you know? And that's, that's because people just can't, we're Americans, we can't get our heads around needing help. help. Asking for help. Yep. So on that, um, on that note, four years ago, our answer was, our, to that question was always, talk to us as soon as possible start talking to us as soon as possible. And I still think that that answer is the same because it's worthwhile having a conversation just to get your head around what's going on, your own situation. You know, our first concept, we talk to people all the time. And, it's, and it's just it's education free. and things that might so, stick with you. So the point is though, is that, that you can start planning too soon. You know, I mean, people who are 65, 70 years old and you're well, you and you're married, you have no idea what you're going to need down the road and what your spouse is going to need down the road. That's the really hard part. So unless you're ready to go to a, like a continuum of care community where you can be independent and you can both, or if you're alone, that's, you know, same thing, get what you need long term, that's great. But the hard part is no one, no one ever really knows what they're going to need and when they're going to need it when they start planning too soon. But the point of the matter is, it's just, don't get caught behind the eight ball and I don't know how to answer what the eight ball is. 
because it's different for everyone. One second, yes? Um, I work particularly in the community, so one of the big questions I would get is, is it time? Right, you know, right. And, and every family, most of the time, number one, they're definitely coming in older. They're coming in late, mid 80s, late 80s. Yep. And almost, no, 99%, a majority of the time is crisis. Because they've yep. waited too long. Right. Because everybody is thinking, I'm sending them to the old folks home. Right. Which is that's what it looks like. And that's why I think if, if you're going to start early, start. Let's start looking at some places just so you can get it in your head about what it looks like and that it's not the Fox Farm. A, a lot of people are surprised. Right. It, right. It's kind of more cruise ship than um, Fox oh, Farm. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people remember maybe the grandma. nursing home yeah. of yesteryear. Yeah. I remember my grandfather. Oh my God, it, it, the smell, the look, the terrace floors or whatever. And that's and not where people, people live anymore. I, and when I would be there, people would come in, he'd go, this is a really nice, it's like a hotel. Right. Or a camp. Right. And there's music and there's games and there's right. this and there. It's a whole different thing. So when someone comes, I get people come at 70. Yeah. Hi, we're just looking. Okay. Great. Now, Super. I yeah. we're going to be around 20 years from now. <laughs> but this is the time to kind of. And the other thing I, I like to say in terms, because I'm a planner and, and a thinker in terms of, you know, finances, the bottom line. Yes, we've all saved for retirement. Let's go out there and have a great time. But save a little bit of it for long-term care. Or consider what you might do for a long-term care policy with a life insurance. <laughs> a death benefit. Death benefit. Or, you know, just consider those items so that once you've had all your fun retirement stuff, that you're not at a loss for how you're going to handle it. And I think that maybe... Maybe the best simple answer is after the first rehab stay, not the third. If there's a time or if there's a when, it's after the first rehab stay, not after the third. Or even because the second, you, but not the third. Yeah, not the third. It's always the third when you're in crisis, I promise. You can join AARP at 50. Yes, I know that. I got my card in the mail last year. Don't uh -huh. worry about it. At mine, I had a 50th anniversary. On my 50th birthday, I had an AARP signing party. Ah! So I think that's when you want to tell people. When you hit 50 and AARP comes to you, start looking ahead at these options at 50. And start looking ahead not only for your parents, but for yourself. It's okay, Danny. I'm not ready. I know you. Well, see, you're... You're no one is. Boat as everybody yeah. else. I mean, I've been through this with my mother and my father, and now I'm starting to go with it with another family member. Yeah. And had I looked at it at 50 and started looking forward, yeah. even though things have changed since I was 50, for the better, the facilities have changed, I would have had a different mindset right. than looking right. at it when I was 60. Right. Yes. So maybe what you're going to do is get with AARP and say, Start thinking now. I just threw my new card out. I just came in the mail and I get your card. You're getting a lot of discounts too. Yes. I don't know. Fifty cent coffee at McDonald's, right? All over the place you get discounts. Yes. Uh, it sounds like with your client base, you don't. It's not just one and done. You they stay with you for a period of time. How does that work? So, I, so the typical way that we go about this is just depending on the the, the referral source. Okay. A lot of my clients come to me 
through rehab facilities and relationships that I have with social workers and rehab facilities. I was a drug rep for 17 years and I worked in long-term care for 10, so a lot of my relationships are more medical. Um, so mine really are crisis. Mine are crisis clients. And Jenny's, Jenny um, comes from a different background and, and has, a, has different relationships and different sorts of referral sources than I have. So I tend to have longer relationships. Like um, a, a good example, and I've had more than one of these people, um, a retired school teacher who's never married and has no children and starts planning early and we become fast friends and we're friends for two and three years before we make a decision. And it may just be telephone calls and check-ins and asking questions and then touring a couple places and thinking about it for a while. But that's something that they're trying to do the right proactive thing and I'm there as an educator and a resource, but I'm not gonna push someone into any type of something that they're not ready for. And I'm, you know, our bottom line is what's right for the individual. But either way, to answer your question, but either way, it always, our relationships with our clients always starts with education. Them educating us on who they are, who they, you know, where they've been, what their needs are, and then us doing a little bit of the assisted living 101 with them so that we come together and they understand what I'm trying to do for them and I understand what I need to do for them. And then we go through the process. So the process is I will come to them, Jenny will come to them, Derek, Jen, all of us, whoever is working with the client will come to them we're always trying to provide the three best options that will provide them, you know, that the, the three C's, the care at the cost they can afford with a community they like. So we'll come to them with three. We always say we'd like to show you an apple, an orange, and a banana because they're gonna all fit the bill, but one of them is going to speak to you differently. So we go on a tour with the individual or the family or whoever it is, we help them understand the differences between what we've seen and help them come to a decision. Most often it's a gut decision. You know, sometimes, God bless you all, when there are sons involved, we have to make spreadsheets. So we make the spreadsheet. And then, and then the son will send it back to me with macros and say, yeah, this, and I'm like, okay, I'm done. So I have learned that here, I'm going to give you all the information the you way I see it. things, and then you guys deal with it. But this is what I'm looking at, and here are the differences. But, there's going to be but spreadsheets. There's going to be spreadsheets when there's a son involved. So usually, though, it's a, it, it is a decision based on a gut reaction. Then we help facilitate the move in such a way, whatever obstacles are going to stand in the way of getting the person to the next step. You know, we work with senior move managers, we work with moving companies, we work with realtors, um, we work with home care companies because maybe we need to put a band-aid on a situation while we're dealing with all of these details. Elder law attorneys. Elder law attorneys, um, financial planners, you know, sometimes you've got this long-term care policy, but the agent is long gone and you don't even know where to begin interpreting it. 
So we have, and that's why we call ourselves Vesta Senior Network, because we have a network of individuals. You know, we always like to say we got a guy. And so if we can help overcome some of these obstacles to get you to your new home, we want to do that. And then, um, you know, we're going to check in on you after. And we want to know that, that things are happening the way that they're supposed to. And it's to. such a process of learning about each other yeah, and spending time with each other. We just end up becoming friends. And so often we get a phone call from a daughter, mom fell. Or now this happened. Or can you explain to me again what happens in hospice? Because I don't, they said it to me and I was sitting in the room and I was supposed to be taking notes, but I just, I didn't get it. So just to button this up a little bit, um, different funding options, um, private pay, cash is king, of course, um, and that's going to give you your choices. You know, however much um, you can, you know, you have to use for your care is what's going to dictate some of your choices. Um, I like to call it your power of choice. Mm -hmm. So your if category. you're coming in on family care, if you're coming in on state funding, your choices are going to be the choices that we can find for you, but if, or that you could find for yourself, but it's you. And if you have two years of private pay, the world is more a little bit your oyster in terms of choice. And then the aid and attendance benefit. You know, there are a lot of veterans out there that, that just because of their service status or their service connection, whatever, uh, their circumstances, they've never really been able to access any benefits through the VA just because of, you know, how they serve, what they serve, who, you know. But the aid and attendance benefit is an amazing benefit that will help um, a veteran, a surviving spouse, or the couple um, pay for assisted living if someone served, the vet served, during wartime. Wait, I should say it the other way. If, if a veteran served 90 days, with one day being during wartime. And every county has a veteran services officer. So if you served, even one day during wartime, he did not even have to be in the theater. We hear that a lot. I've got a gentleman right now. He served during Vietnam, but he was not there. No, nope, that counts because we needed people stateside too. You know, same with the World War II vets. Um, you know, we we had a gentleman who was in boot camp on D-Day. He never went, but he was in the service for 90 days. One of them being during wartime, and he never went, but he still was able to access the benefit. Mm -hmm. And it's about $1,500 a month for the vet himself. It's a stipend, and it it's can a, be used for assisted living or in-home care. Mm -hmm. So that's, we love, we love making sure people know about that because a lot of people who served a short period of time don't think that there are any benefits available to them. You said that was for surviving spouses. Also well. surviving spouses. Yep, you also just need the discharge spouses. papers, honorable discharge. And if you don't have that, um, you know, Social if you go through your, your veteran services. Well, to be Probably on record. But, yeah. yeah. So, you know, the, each county has an individual, otherwise the American Legion is helpful too. too yeah. Long-term care insurance. Um, I, I do some work for, a, for an attorney um, with his guardianships, with his wards, and he always jokes that long-term care insurance is that unicorn you hear about, but um, never really see anyone getting to use. Um, and what, what you, you know the statistics, like 5%, 3% of our clients have had long-term care insurance. Right around, right around 5%. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people don't have it, but the ones who do. They, a lot of the insurance companies getting rid of their long-term care. They're changing them. Business. They're changing them. So there used to be like five or six companies that had long-term care 
um, and policies, and some of them have gone by the wayside simply because the math was, the based, on was based on we die on our first heart attack, we die on mm. our first bout with cancer, which isn't the case anymore. So now those companies have gone by the wayside to survive, and now more um, financial planners and insurance companies are, are beginning to introduce a product, but it's a little bit different now. So for example, we, um, we got a policy from my mom last year that I don't make any recommendations, I'm not a financial planner, but this is what we chose for my mom. Um, it has a long-term care benefit as well as a death benefit. So the death benefit is at minimum what she paid into it, at, if she uses it as, uses it as a long-term care benefit, it's worth three times. So it's more desirable to people because, you know, Jenny and I are always like, oh, how much insurance do we need that we're never going to use? You know, you, know you, you can keep throwing good money after bad with insurance. And, you know, we've seen plenty of people, dear, dear neighbors in their 90s, we just got them, you know, moved. And she was diagnosed with stomach cancer and she was dead in six weeks. They didn't get to use all that money they paid and, and I had gone through their policy, you know, with them, and he was he was an attorney, so he just needed me to kind of point out where things were for him in this policy. They had spent over $60,000 on these policies, and they both were dead within eight weeks and never used them. So that is, I think, what a lot of people are scared of because these policies are expensive. But my mom was open to it. She had an annuity come due that she had to do something with, so we just put it in this other type of product that either she'll use as a long-term care policy or there'll be a death benefit. So we're, we're really going long. Yep. And then we've already talked enough about family care and Medicaid. So at the end of the day, you've got to find a place where you can make yourself at home. Um, that little dog we had to put in here because that's Augie Doggy, and he goes to work every day with his doggy daddy at a rehab facility and he cruises around making people happy and then he seems to know like when it's kind of the end of the day and he goes back to the therapy gym and um, goes home. So often we find a lot of pets and you know, homey things that make people, happy. That make people happy. That was Pam Fody and Jenny Wagner of Vesta Senior Network. Learn more about the work of Vesta Senior Network and get your elder care questions answered by visiting vestaseniornetwork.com. Retire United members are retirees, or soon-to-be retirees, who recognize the important role of volunteerism and philanthropy play in strengthening our community. United Way invites you to expand your community involvement, participate in volunteer opportunities, join social events, continue giving, and more during your retirement. Learn more at unitedwaygmwc.org.